0: conversation like adults
1: oh i think talking about our souls in peril is a pretty adult conversation have you lost christ no did you become a liberal
0: oh fuck you are you serious i'm more conservative than ever kevin to the core i'm the poster boy okay i
1: got it i'm not i want to be but i'm not i mean i read the new yorker and sometimes i listen to michelle obama speeches and i cry kevin shut
0: up why? I don't want to talk about how confused you are. Do you read my articles at all?
1: Trace, listen. What we gotta do, we gotta have like a big conversation, you know, like, like we used to
0: do. Anytime we have a big conversation, it ends with you saying that you should become a priest and then crying about how you'd be a bad priest and then crying about how much you want a girlfriend. Okay.
2: Yeah,
1: but I won't do that this time, okay? I, I promise.
2: All right. My name is Ben Burgess. This is Give Them an Argument. I am joined, as always, by our super producer, Jake Appett and our very talented graphic designer, Jay Andrew World. So what you just watched uh, was a scene from uh, the play Heroes of the Fourth Turning uh, by Will Arbery, uh, who is actually going to be joining us a little bit later today. Uh, He is also a staff writer for Succession, uh, which I guess, you know, I'm I'm guessing uh, most people watch this are more likely to have seen than that play. But the uh, the play is also very good. Uh, you know, won awards. Uh, just uh, came out in book form a few months ago. Um, and yeah, he's gonna be uh, he's gonna be joining us in about half an hour to talk about that. Of course, he's a WGA member, so uh, he has more time on his hands right now to uh, to go on podcasts uh, than uh, than he usually would. Uh, so he can do stuff like uh, like come on GTAA. Uh, and to set that up a little bit, uh, we have um, we have a clip, a short clip of him uh, talking about the play and a little bit about why he wrote it.
0: Heroes of the Fourth Turning is about a small school in the middle of Wyoming, um, a small Catholic great books conservative school. It's the school where my parents teach. The play takes place um, on a very specific day, which is August 19th, 2017. So almost a year after Trump was elected, exactly a week after the riots in Charlottesville and two days before the solar eclipse. And that school in Wyoming was actually in the path of totality. I felt compelled to write this play pretty immediately after the election in 2016 and there was a this need for understanding like who are the people how did this happen who are the people that helped make this happen and in my head i was like well i could tell you about some of them uh, because it's where i come from I think this is a moment in the culture where ideas are as exciting as, you know, an action movie, more exciting than an action movie, like the things that people think and the ways in which they think them and how they get there. That's our gladiator fight today.
2: Yeah, so I am uh, excited to talk to him about that. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, for that uh, vibe train. Uh, I, I do hope to, uh, to do more in-person stuff, uh, around here. Actually a few days ago at UC Irvine, uh, I did a, uh, panel on, uh, podcasting, uh, with, um, Jason Miles and Matt Crispin and Amber Frost. Uh, so yeah, definitely hoping to do more stuff. But meanwhile, uh, one definite immediate advantage of being here is that could, uh, rent the uh, studio space. And in, uh, in which I am right now is a big improvement over the tin can in my living room, into which I was shouting the podcast uh, before this. Um, but in any case, uh, definitely looking forward to talking to will about heroes of the fourth terrain. Uh, but first uh, we need to do the important stuff. Like, you know, I mean, we can can have fun talking about plays and whatever later, but like, you know, right now We need to get to the issue on everybody's mind um, and the conversation about that issue that's on everybody's mind. I'm, of course, talking about Ben Shapiro arguing about UFOs with Matt Walsh.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when uh, uh, I've been following the story really, really closely, I think, like all of us. And when you saw that some guy who may or may not be totally out of his mind or, you know, maybe is like the whistle, the most important whistleblower of the millennium, um, I was thinking. Like what does Ben think about this? Not Ben Burgess, but of course Ben Shapiro. What does Matt think about yeah. this? Are they gonna are they gonna think the same or are they gonna, you know, have a spirit to debate? Because watching those guys debate is like, you know, like uh like Mr. Arbery said, that is the gladiator fight of, uh, of, of our current era. So, uh, no, actually yeah, I don't want
2: yeah, right. to. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I, I actually agree with him. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm making fun, but not, not necessarily you those know. guys, but, uh, <laughs> they, yeah, I, but...
3: I know, um, I had to stop watching the seven magnificent gladiators because I was celebrating pride month. Um, you know, first <laughs> thing I do is pop in a gladiator film. Um,
1: But yeah.
4: yeah. um, anyway, uh, you know, yeah.
3: Yeah, just want to oil up those brains just like, uh, just, just like those gladiators were in that uh, Lou Ferrigno movie.
2: Well, they're all oiled up and ready, so let's, let's watch them go at it.
5: So, Matt, meanwhile, you know, all of this is big story. Obviously, all of it matters a lot, but it's dwarfed by the news that there is a whistleblower named David Charles Grush, a decorated Air Force veteran who told News Nation that the American government has retrieved non-human origin technical vehicles called spacecraft, if you will, non-human exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. And uh, he has also claimed, apparently, uh, that there are exotic materials here, including different morphologies. Like we actually have aliens, I guess, with the with the spaceships. Uh, so obviously you're very happy about this because you've been a big advocate for the idea that that the aliens are among us for a long time. Uh, the, the one problem I have with the story is that I think it's complete crap. Uh- <laughs> he says that yeah, this this particular fellow does not say he has personally seen alien vehicles he doesn't say that he's personally seen anything so apparently a middle manager at uh, at one of these organizations now saying that he has seen aliens is enough to uh, to set the entire world ablaze what 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 is your take i know that you're very excited about this
6: well i am very excited about it and i but you know i have to disagree well, i disagree with you completely on every aspect of this story including that it's setting the world ablaze it should set the world ablaze but it but it it, it isn't like people don't care and i and i think that you know, UFOs could actually literally land on Earth in front of everybody and it's all on tape and people still it would trend on Twitter for about about five, five and a half minutes and then everyone would move on. So I, I find that very depressing, which also to me just makes it more credible, because one of the things you hear from especially people on the right is that, well, these stories are all distraction by the government. Um, and well, it's I, I think that's wrong for a number of reasons, to, beginning with the fact that it's it's not a distraction. It's like it doesn't succeed as a distraction. So you're still left with, if, if this is all bogus, then why would someone make this up? I mean, this whistleblower, we, we know it has been confirmed that he had access to high-level classified information. That part is 100% confirmed. Uh, we know at least what his credentials are, what his resume is. And he worked in the, you know, he was in the intelligence agency, He worked with these kinds of uh, these aerial phenomena, investigating them. He comes out and says, look, this is what I've been told. Why would, what would be his incentive to make this up? He's, he's setting the, his own career on fire. He's not setting the world ablaze, but he is setting his career ablaze and his life potentially. Why would he do that if it's entirely made up? But the other thing, Ben, you have to remember is that this is just, there's not one because story. Because you know his name now and you would never heard of him before? Okay. Well, so what, is, what, is, what good does that do? I was like, so he'll write one book, maybe. I, I'm not even sure if it'd be a bestseller. And, uh, and, then, and then that's Matt, it. Matt, wait, hold
5: up, hold up. You're saying people don't do things to be famous? And to get on TV and to and to like be and to, to be notorious. I, I feel like I feel like this runs counter to much of your your view of the world.
3: It's <laughs> incredible. I, I, I'm sitting there like, wow, it's like it's like he's describing themselves. You know, they're saying the quiet part out loud about themselves uh, tra- talking about this story. It's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that. um They my guess is that they don't really let themselves have debates over substantive uh, policy issues, even if they have one, you know, so they whatever uh, passive aggressive or aggression that they have for each other has to come out through a a passive aggressive debate about uh, aliens, because, you know, that Ben Shapiro behind closed doors is probably one of the most uh, petty people on the planet and probably hates everybody that he comes into contact with and thinks they're a bunch of idiots and that he's a genius. But I feel like we're just starting to have that come, come through on this clip.
2: Yeah. Uh, in the, the second half of this, which we'll watch in a minute, uh, he gets a little bit looser and uh, I mean, it's actually kind of odd. Like it, it, you know, he like almost comes across like he just like smoked pot for the first time in his life or something. But uh but, but yeah, I, I mean, this is, I, I will say I want to do some, some bipartisanship here and give credit where credit's due. Um, you know, if anybody wants to, to clip the next few seconds, uh, I think Ben Shapiro is right. I, uh, I, I do in fact think that there are probably not uh, alien spaceships um, that, uh, that have, you know, crashed into the United States and, you know, are, are being, you uh, you know, are being kept a uh, closely guarded secret, uh, by, uh, by the, the federal government. Um, I will say, I actually think as we go on, he does not make a great case, but he is right. Um, I think for a couple reasons, I, I tend to think that, uh, one is, you know, the fancy reason is that, I mean, this is basically David Hume's ar- argument about miracles, uh, that, You know, as unlikely as you might think that any given person would make something up or have a delusion or whatever, uh, what you have to weigh is the is the improbability of that person um, being being wrong for any of those reasons that they're lying, that they're deluded, that whatever uh, against the improbability of the thing itself. Right. That like you have. uh, So in the miracle case that, you know, you have your entire experience of the entire world uh, tells you the laws of physics work in a certain way. And you have to weigh that against, uh, this guy who seems real trustworthy said it didn't this time. Um, and you know, I like, look, if I, you know, um, you know, if I said, um, you know, if I said that last night, you know, Vladimir Putin, Joe Biden and the Pope, you know, all, all had dinner in my apartment, um, that doesn't even violate any physical laws, right? That, that, that could happen consistently with the laws of physics. But, uh, even if you started out thinking I was real, real trustworthy, you, you still wouldn't believe me, right? Like this. Cause you think the, the probability of somebody who otherwise seems really trustworthy saying something that's not true is however low it is, it's still higher than that happening. Uh, and you know, okay. The UFOs aren't quite on the level Maybe you know, like, of this divine, miraculous intervention in the laws of nature, but like, also, kind of are, right? Like, that's, you know, if you given the distances involved, um, you know that uh, that that does seem like we'd have to have some faster than light travel, uh, unless I don't know, unless the aliens are taking like, you know, a like centuries a trip. Um. So so yeah, I, I think something like the Hume argument seems pretty compelling to me that's half of it and then the other half is that this this idea that like oh the government's covering it up because there would be mass panic if we revealed the ufos seems exactly backwards to me like i I don't know i mean it seems like the defense establishment would love that
1: yeah i um honest i quite honestly uh i think the biggest reason that we haven't found a real alien spaceship yet is that trump has come and gone as president of the united states and he has not come out and said it i mean the guy no, literally
2: trump would 100 percent have said it like like just in some casual context you know he didn't even mean to say it and he'd be like oh yeah no, it's like the ufos that we found
1: I don't know, <laughs> yeah, was
2: I wasn't supposed to say that. Yeah, no,
1: that. Yeah, I mean, coming, you know, from seeing that he literally had these files in uh, in his in his bathroom at, at Mar a Lago, I think. But uh yeah, I I agree with That's you. by I,
2: the shower. You you saw that picture.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Look, maybe one of those boxes has the you know the proof about uh about ufos ufos in there but uh i tend to agree with you i mean listen i'm, I'm open to the idea of it but i just i just want to see the proof like in front of my eyes as opposed to we have to like believe in someone right yeah, uh, there's
2: this guy who says it
1: yeah yeah i mean to also think about that like i mean i guess the people who are really the ufo head said that there's all this proof over all like over over the years right so this wouldn't be the first sign of it because i tend to yeah. think about uh what are the odds that my time on earth coincides with like when an alien came you know what i mean but i guess uh i don't know i'm not high enough for this conversation
6: (laughs) i I, I just well i
2: think i think ben shapiro might be so let's go
6: the people do things to be famous but i my question is still what to what end so people know his name And then and then and then what? Like, where does he where does he go from there? He's given up his entire career. What does he do next? Uh, But it's just this this one story is in the broader context. We've got uh, videos from Navy pilots of anonymous anomalous objects in the sky. We've got many, many different reports. We, We do have many things that are now on on video because everyone has smartphones now. And so we can actually see these objects in the sky. We've got radar. We've got all these things. And we do have people in the intelligence community coming out and, and confirming that, uh, that, these, that these things have been seen. And sometimes these crafts have been, uh, have been you know, uh, obtained after they've crashed. So there's, there's a lot of evidence that something is going on. And I think if you're going to take the position that's definitely not aliens, then uh, that, that to me seems, seems irrational. You at least have to be open to the possibility. Like there, there, there has to be some explanation for this phenomena. And that is one of the potential explanations. What is the... Okay, it is a potential explanation,
5: but the probability is extremely low, mainly because, again, here's my question. These creatures apparently flew millions of light years to get to planet Earth, where they proceeded to crash their extraordinarily high-tech spacecraft into, like, a swamp and die. And... This seems like wild incompetence. Are these are these aliens just like extremely good at making their vehicles, but very, very bad at driving them? Are they female aliens? Like, how do we what, what's happening well, here?
6: I would be careful before I start calling them incompetent. OK, they can be listening to us right now. I mean, I'm not. And, and, and only a few of them have crashed. <laughs> we, we see many of them where they're flying around the sky and then they and then they leave. So it just makes sense. if We've been visited a bunch of times by uh, beings from other solar systems. Every once in a while, a few of them crash. They're not perfect
1: um round two goes to matt honestly
6: <laughs> yeah <totally.
1: laughs> wow that really that really flip-flopped uh well
3: i mean the question was what is an alien woman he certainly has been working on it. <laughs> he's been yeah yeah a
1: he's while. like he's yeah. like don't get me started on that one Um, uh, i mean you know ben tried to uh win with just his you know wonderful charm of uh like i would say maybe 1940s 1950s era era humor about about women driving that he just like really got a big fucking chuckle out of but matt's arguments honestly were better in that in that round i I really i kind of came around
2: yeah no totally i i i think um again anyone wants to clip this out of context i think matt walsh made a good argument uh but um but yeah listen
1: No, I was just like, (laughs) I don't agree with Matt that it's likely aliens, but if aliens exist, I think this weird argument about their incompetence is a really, is a really bad argument. Because I I just feel like if there's aliens that really do exist, let's say that's true, then I don't think that we can make any kind of assumptions about them that have to do with, you know what I mean? That have to do with our assumptions of how competence works on earth. I, I just think that all bets are off at that point and trying okay. to reason your way through yeah. it is just, It's just, is just insane.
2: Like I, and I think the levels, like, again, I totally, yes. Uh, Matt Walsh is wrong, but, uh, he, he is making a much better argument than ben is in, uh, in this clip. Um, because this idea that, the, that like some, you know, UFOs crashing, supposedly like somehow undermines the whole thing like i think it it just doesn't I mean you know put aside the you know the 1949 cat skills you know lady driver's joke uh like just just on the substance of the argument like
1: that's that's the only comedy that his parents would let him watch when, when, when he was a kid his old cat skills uh vhs tapes
2: yeah uh exactly but like you know, film reels. Uh, but yeah, and, uh, that putting that aside, like one, as you say, uh, if you're talking about these beings with evolutionary histories completely unrelated to ours, et cetera, then yeah, no, seriously, all bets are off uh, about, you know, behavior, expectations, or anything. But two, oh yeah, let's pretend that wasn't true. Let's pretend that we could just help ourselves to the assumptions. That like everything that would hold true of humans would hold true of them. Okay. I mean, incredibly expensive, uh, military aircraft with technology that would have seemed amazing to everybody 20 years ago crash. I mean, that happens like, like, like doesn't like having really good technology and sometimes crashing it is not incompatible. (laughs)
3: I mean, look at John McCain. I mean, John McCain took the most expensive aircraft uh, known to man at the time and kept crashing them.
1: I like my aliens that don't crash.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I like the
2: aliens that don't crash and swabs and get captured by the government. Yeah.
1: Um, does that put a that, that 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 put a bow on it? We got we got yeah. any more deep yeah, they analysis? Keep, they keep
3: sending us their John McCain's. <laughs> so uh, I do want to move on
2: uh, before we're joined by Will to. Talk about maybe our equivalent to, uh, the, uh, the right arguing about how they should feel about UFOs, which would be the left arguing about how we should feel about Robert Kennedy jr. Um, so I wrote something about RFK for, uh, for Jacobin, uh, that, um, yeah. Uh, so that, uh, that came out, I don't know, a few days ago. Uh, it's called populist, uh, question mark. RFK Jr. doesn't even uh, support Medicare for all. And the, the kind of basic argument of the the piece is that, um, you know, I, I think what people think about this guy, I mean, unless you're just a very healthy non-online person who doesn't think about him, in which case, congratulations, continue to live your life as you have been living it. Uh, but you know people who do uh, who do think about him right like I think that just kind of given the alignments you know which people like him, which people don't like him, all of that stuff uh, I think there's and also given the fact that probably the thing that he's best known for are his kooky views on vaccines um, that there's this tendency to see him, either positively or negatively, right. Whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing as this, as this kind of like out there, edgy anti-establishment figure. And I would suggest that um, the evidence doesn't really support that. So for example, we have a clip of RFK jr on uh, breaking points, uh, talking to uh, crystal ball about health care policy.
6: As you know, every other developed nation in the world has universal health care. Do you support universal health care through a Medicare for all program or something similar? I mean, uh,
1: my, you know, my, um, my, I, I would say my, my highest ambition would be to have a single payer program, which, you know, with uh, people who want to have private programs can go ahead and do that, but to have a single payer program that is available to to everybody, I don't know how politically realistic that is, but you know, if you ask me, if I were designing the, the system from the beginning, that's what I would do.
0: Hmm.
1: That's that's what he sounds like. Yeah. Not to not to yeah. sound not to sound shame someone.
2: I just am surprised. No,
3: <laughs> no, right, he sounds like a million years old, and he sounded that way for like twenty years. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I think to be fair, there might be some kind of medical thing going on there. I'm, I'm not totally certain about the details, but. Um,
1: he, yeah, he sounds great. All right, so back to his argument, or back to his <laughs> politics.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think we have to say that he sounds great. I think that, uh, I think that if, if the show started next week and I sounded like that, I, I think you'd be justifiably alarmed. But,
3: um, I just hope
1: he's okay, that's all, but as you were saying. <laughs> sure,
3: right. sure. No, he said it like that on Ring of Fire, and uh, that, that, that's kind of where I, I first heard of him. And uh, I will say, if you go back to that point in time and hear him talk about uh, the commons, I think there were some great arguments that he made about uh, the commons. And then he just kept getting weirder.
2: Yeah. So, so what interests me here? And look, again, I don't like RFK's views on vaccines. Uh, Nathan Robinson and Lily Sanchez at uh, Current Affairs. Uh, did an article that I link in mine where they go through a lot of the claims that he's made about this and sort of say, hey, he says there's all this evidence that for, you know, whatever. Uh, ivermectin, you know, actually does work really well, but like here's the meta-analysis that says exactly the opposite of that and et cetera. So you want to you see all that broken down, go check out Nathan and Lily's article. But, you know, my my thought is that everybody who has an opinion pro or con about RFK Jr. has already factored in the vaccine stuff. They, they know this. Uh, and what I'm interested in is actually, uh, not the respects in which he's kooky, but the respects in which he's depressingly normal, uh, for American politics. And in that clip that we just listened to, you know, think about this, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, 2009, uh, you know, I don't know. A year or two before Jake was born, uh, I can remember uh Barack Obama on TV talking about his proposal for the Affordable Care Act, right? Obamacare. And I remember Obama using almost exactly the same words to say, uh, well, look, if we were starting over from scratch, of course I'd like single payer, but right. And then he never actually explains why it is that it's like, you know, metaphysically impossible. That after we have the for profit healthcare system up and running, we could get rid of it. Um, so, uh, that's a really good joke,
1: Antonio. We could, we could skip past it, but that's a really good joke. No, no, Uh,
2: that's props. Uh, podcasters
1: email, podcast listeners email us and we'll let you know what Antonio said.
2: (laughs) Um, yeah. I, I feel like, like saying it out loud and having to explain the spelling and everything would kind of kill the joke. So yeah. Uh, DMs are open for anybody who wants to know what Antonio's Ivermectin joke was. Uh, but yeah. In, um, so like one, Obama like in 2009, right. What Obama is saying, the core of it is the exact same thing. RFK says to crystal in that clip that, it's no, 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 that like, look, sure. If we were just starting over from the very beginning, single payer would be nice, but you know, sadly, what are you going to do? Um, and that's bad and that's bad enough. But also the other half of this is that, uh, in 2009, when Obama was saying it, what he was proposing instead of single payer, cause we can't do that cause we're not starting from scratch was the original version of Obamacare that at least had a public option in it Uh, that, you know, there'd be like one public plan that, you know, would compete with different private plans. And to be clear, I I think the gap between those two things is really important Uh, between single payer and a public option uh, that, you know, uh, public option, you know, like right now, if you're poor enough, you already get a public option, right. It's Medicaid, and um, lots of doctors won't take it because uh, they get reimbursed at a higher rate uh, from uh, from private plans. So a proposal for a public option, you know, competing with private plans is a proposal for two tiered health care for rich people and poor people. I have a big problem with that. I also think a lot of the sort of things that are pathological about America's healthcare system would still be pathological about America's healthcare system even with a public option that was available for everybody, as much of an improvement as that would be uh, that like, Oh, well, you know, if you have the better healthcare, you don't want to leave your job, you know, cause you would lose that or, you know, all, you don't want to leave your marriage maybe cause you don't want to lose it, all that stuff. So I've I many, many problems with, with that. Uh, but of course, you know, Obama ended up ditching it anyway. Uh in, uh, in the negotiations about the ACA and Joe Biden said, in, in the 2020 primaries that he supported a public option. He brought it back up, uh, you know, cause Bernie was advocating single payer public option by definition. You're talking about a multi-payer system, you know, multiple payers competing with each other. And um, so, you know, because healthcare dominated so much of the democratic debates in 2020 uh, in 2020, Biden made a big deal supporting a public option. And then, you know, January, 2021, he was never heard of again. Uh but whatever you think about that, uh just just want to make the point here that what RFK is doing in that clip is he's a redefining single payer to just mean a public option. Right. If you listen to what he said, that well, there's a public plan that would be available to people, but of course if you want a private plan instead, that's cool. Um so he's redefining single payer to mean a public option. He's 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 taking the Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, et cetera, view from 2020 and calling it single payer, but two, he's not even advocating that. He's saying, well, look, if we were starting over from the beginning in that beautiful hypothetical world, then we could have a public option. But, you know, since, uh, since we're not, we, uh, we can't and, uh, act like, man, I mean, if you take away the craziness about vaccines, uh, seems to me that this guy is just kind of another Democrat.
1: Yeah. And I don't think we have time to fully answer this question. So maybe I'll just put it out there as a question, but my understanding is that, you know, some folks who are heterodox on the left, the left, like, uh, like Jimmy, like our friend, friend of the show, Jimmy door had a, had a pretty, had a very friendly interview with him. Right.
6: Um, which is
2: amazing. Right. Yes. Because this is a guy who said many, many times that, uh, that like AOC and Rashid Tlaib and all these people are, you know, fucking sellouts, uh, cause, cause they didn't use the particular strategy that he wanted to achieve Medicare for all. And you have this guy, RFK, who's openly not in favor of Medicare for all. And somehow he, he's okay. That's it
1: yeah that's my question what's what's what what's the difference you know one, one is like you don't support the f- same strategy to get to that end versus you know the, you just yeah, don't support
2: I, the end <laughs> that's uh, yeah you, you i guess think that's it, that's more yeah.
1: honest you know we the guys like us we uh, we actually do we actually don't support it but we're hiding behind the fact that we weren't sure if that was going oh, that yeah, one okay, strategy okay. was going to work so so we're pretending we're, to think it was incredibly yellow bellies to, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah provide, they, Exactly. The but, uh...
2: I really hated all those years that I had spent pretending <laughs> to, yeah. to support and advocate this. Um, yeah.
1: open well, yeah. So that was my open question.
2: No, I think that is a very uh that is a very, very fair question. Uh I will also say uh that you know I, I think probably the best case you can make uh for RFK, let's say you're willing to give him a pass on the vaccine kookiness and you're willing to Uh, you're willing to give him a pass for not even supporting Medicare for all the sort of most basic dividing line, you know, between kind of the Bernie wing and the, uh, the mainstream wing of the democratic party. Um, the, the best case for him is on, on foreign policy and like on his best moments, right. You know, he will say things like, Oh, I want to unwind the empire. But the point I make about this in the article is look, let's imagine a hypothetical president, Robert F. Kennedy jr. Uh, taking office, you know, January, 2025, and then proceeding to try to, as he says, unwind empire. Well, that would be, that would take like really enormous reserves of political courage, right? I mean, that you'd be opposed to the entirety of the, you know, the defense and national security establishments, you know, the intelligence community, you know, whatever the whole multifaceted sprawling, you know, military industrial complex would be bitterly opposing you at every moment. And so say, okay, does anything that this guy says actually suggest that he possesses anything like that kind of courage? And I would point to something that happened uh, about a week ago or a little bit more, I think maybe a couple weeks ago when, um, when, uh, Kennedy praised uh Roger Waters, and he got a lot of backlash about that. And look, you know Roger Waters, I you know I have mixed feelings. Uh, you know I love Pink Floyd, but uh the uh this like about about his political views, right? I think there's room for legitimate criticism on some issues. But what what the criticism was really about was the idea that it's like oh he's anti-Israel and this this is a sign of anti-Semitism. It was, it was that smear and, um, RFK's response was not to sort of boldly condemn that and assert, you know, his strong support for Palestinian human rights and, uh, any, or anything like that, right. His, uh, his response was to meet with, um, uh, Rabbi Shmuley, uh, Botiach, Botiak. I'm actually not a hundred percent on the pronunciation of the surname. My apologies. Uh, and reassert what he called his unalterable and unshakable commitment uh, to to Israel, and to agree to march in like a, a you know Israel Day parade uh, with uh, the uh, uh, rabbi the next week. None of which really, you know, I don't know. I got to say, none of, this, uh, none of this really inspires confidence that this is this is a guy as as president who would really uh, stick to his guns on on any of these
3: issues. Yeah, that's – I did not read the article. I kind of now wish I did because that was uh, – just the images of an uh, Israel uh, pride parade is just, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 filling my head right now and, uh, you know. So, I I mean, I guess, like, look, uh, on
2: some level, you know, none of this particularly matters. I don't really think, um, like – You know, if you ask me, you know, what, uh, you know, like, I don't really think that there's going to be a meaningful democratic primary, uh, next year. I'd love to be wrong. Right. But I don't think there's going to be, right. So this is largely sim. you know, like supporting any of these guys is largely symbolic, but I just think with this particular guy, the symbolism sucks. All right. Uh, I think we are going to, uh, bring Will on before we do that. Uh, let me just, uh, let me just say, uh, that in the post game, uh, for patrons, we are going to have uh, producer Jordan Dubin back, uh, to, uh, to continue the, uh, dissection of, uh, of the Lindsay lunacy. So, uh, should be, uh, should be a good time, uh, if you are not yet a GTA patron, Uh, That is patreon.com slash Ben Burgess. So five bucks a month. You get access to every patron exclusive post game after regular Monday night episodes, get access to the discord server. You uh, sometimes there are movie nights. You get many good things, but most importantly, our undying love and gratitude for helping to keep this going. All right. Uh, With that said, uh, let's bring on Will Arbery. Hello. Hello. How are you? What's up? I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, I'm pretty good. Uh so yeah, uh, we are here to uh to talk about your uh your play, uh Heroes of the uh the Fourth Turning, which came out I think back in March uh as a as book.
4: Yeah, the you know the the fancier book with the nice cover art and everything but the the plays went out in the world since um since 2020 and it was produced in 2019
2: got yeah. it yeah, yeah so i think we do we do have a uh jake i think we do have a short a short clip from uh, from a performance of this can i ask what is the system
0: it's the education it's the culture it's literally. You see on TV. Like what? The news? 99% of it, mainstream media, all the shows, all the movies. If you watch
3: TV, you love all the shows. What
0: shows?
1: Don't you love like Portlandia? Oh, I watch the show; they're
0: entertaining, but the shows do not determine
5: my lifestyle. I love those
0: shows. They're- good bird on them. <laughs> <laughs> Entertainment is inherently Dionysian; that's a good thing in moderation, but it's become our national gospel. So, President is an entertainer. You want to talk about that? Because I can talk about that. Plato predicted Trump. No, Trump, please, no.
5: Trump, Trump is Plato's shadow bleached, rich man, hung with superfluous fat, sitting in helpless confusion. Trump is a
0: golem molded from the clay of mass media, and he's come to save us all. Damn! And even if he himself is confused. He's he has the ability to spit out digestible sound soundbites rooted in the decades of the work of the most brilliant conservative think tanks in the country.
3: <laughs> Everyone's screaming.
4: Cedar, <laughs> <laughs> <Theater>, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. I no, I really, I really enjoyed that line when I was, I was reading the. um, uh, the play a, a little uh, a little while ago so it was you know it was fun to see it being uh, <laughs> so fun to see it being uh, being yelled out like that but yeah tell tell me, uh, tell me a little bit like um about the uh the the setup here like the like these 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 characters i mean you know who these who these people are and you know where it's set
4: yeah um the play is set at a um small catholic conservative uh great books focused um college in wyoming um, in western wyoming um, called transfiguration college of wyoming and basically it's a school that um that combines yeah this like core curriculum classical great books program with wilderness training like mountaineering and horseback training and um survival skills and things like that um and and the the characters are the alumni um well three of them are alumni of this college and they've gathered because their their favorite professor and mentor is was just inaugurated president of this college and um and then the fourth young person in the cast is is the daughter of of that um, teacher um, who's living at home with her parents because she's sort of chronically ill. And yeah, there's the 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 <laughs> the woman in the white uh, pantsuit is um, Teresa, who's played by Zoe Winters, who's also then in um, Succession, which I also worked on. She played Carrie Logan Roy's assistant and then lover. Um, and she lives in New York. She lives in, you know, she lives in South Slope. She works for um, a website that um, is a little bit more, you know, sort of like reactionary and and um, uh, controversial and clickbaity. Um, but she writes like sort of columns that are rooted in this education, but then sort of like on steroids for a contemporary audience and then kevin lives in oklahoma and he works for a catholic textbook company and he basically is completely lost in his life and is torn between you know becoming a priest and um and you know like moving to new york like Teresa did and and like being the holy fool out on the streets of new york and you know just like preaching the gospel and making out with people and getting drunk and he's he's very drunk throughout this night and very like tormented in his in his soul and then Justin is um, a little bit older than the rest of them because he entered the school when he was um, out of the Marines and he mm-hmm. um, he basically uh, has stuck around in the town he's he teaches horseback training now and this is all taking place in his backyard and um, and he sort of has a very like um, uh, there's like a tension, a romantic tension between him and Emily, the daughter. And he uh, is kind of like her caretaker in a way. And yeah, and then Emily didn't go to the school, but again, is is sort of there. And she she worked for a uh, um, she was working in Chicago for uh, like a. Um, a pro-life women's health organization that basically like houses women who they counseled to not get an abortion. Mm. Um, and, um, she, uh, she basically got sick while she was there and had to come home. but because of that experience, she has more like actual real world real world experience with people who think very differently than she does. And so she's sort of the most, um, she's sort of the most like ecumenical in her, Mm. in her thinking, the most like liberal minded, even though she's still very much a conservative. Um, Yeah. And then, and then at at some point, like two thirds of the way through that, that professor finally enters and she sort of has a showdown with all of them and, (laughs) and stuff goes from there, but yeah, that's the basic setup.
2: Yeah. And I mean, those five characters, I guess you just described, I mean, kind of, like make up this um, taxonomy of like different kinds of conservative, right. They're all, they're all like kind of subtly different, you know, kinds of it, even though they, they come, you know, they all like what they have, you know, well, except Kevin, maybe, but you know, they have a, uh, but like uh, they, they come from, even though they all come from the specific sort of, you know, very right wing intellectual Catholic uh, background. uh, They, you know, they take it, Uh, They take it slightly, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to slightly different or, you know, very different, you know, places uh, that, you know, that I think are all kind of, for anybody who's a little bit familiar with this, this milieu are all kind of recognizable types.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's. It's highly specific. Uh, it's a highly specific subsection of American conservatism, but I would say like a like one with an outsized influence because, you know, it's it's like the subsection of Catholic American conservatism that um, is heavily involved in like the think tanks and the conferences that that I think have resulted in like the Supreme Court looking the way it does right now. Um, so so yeah, but it's like it's the sort of um, you know, not it's 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 everyday people who are still very entrenched in that world, but not you know, in Washington uh, or you know, like lobbying or you know, <laughs> running a think tank or anything like that. It's sort of this push pull between how much to engage with the world and how much to sort of put up defenses um, against it. And then within that highly specific subsection, you get like these um, themselves very specific. Um, in a way archetypes and the play deals with archetypes um, even in its very title is like a reference to the, Neil Howe and William Strauss book, the fourth turning, which is all about archetypes and generational cycles. (laughs) um, uh, Yeah. yeah. So so it might
2: actually be worth unpacking for, uh, for just a, for just a minute. People aren't familiar with this.
4: Yeah. It's this book that came out. um, uh, It's sort of, I would, I, I would, I don't know how exactly I would categorize it as sort of like pop history or pop sociology book that, um, that um, basically puts forth the theory that, that uh, history goes in these um, cycles of, um, you know, a couple decades or several decades where there's like a high period, which is all about like growth and renewal and, prosperity and then an awakening where people sort of start to get disillusioned with certain elements of that and and camps start forming and unraveling is a very very um like a culture war period um where people really start distrusting each other and then crisis is when you know war some sort of cataclysmic event happens and yeah yeah and then um and then the cycle repeats because out of that, out of that, um, out of that crisis comes comes a new high, and all of this is fueled and propelled by these archetypes who define each <laughs> each turning. Um, and there's like the the prophet, the nomad, the hero, and the artist. Um, yeah, and and so basically, like, according to their theory, we are now in a time of crisis and people basically millennials would be considered heroes and so we're the heroes who are somehow gonna you know like some of us will be winners and some of us will be losers but we feel this sort of heroic impulse in us and we're gonna be the ones dueling it out to determine the future (laughs) and then artists will then be born out of that in the high and then they'll sort of kind of implicitly lead to the awakening and then the unraveling and it all just repeats. So it's basically like they go in the book, they go through really far back in history um, <laughs> to sort of prove uh, their case. And um, and the only reason I heard about it at all was because Steve Bannon was...
2: Uh, I was going to really say like, that yeah. <laughs> literally the only time I'd heard about it before reading the play was uh when i like i don't know three or four years ago when i listened to steve bannon's appearance on red scare and you know the uh the host was like oh steve tell us about the fourth turning
4: yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i just remember like when i was writing this play in in 2017 um i started to get really you know into the the play takes place like literally like the night after bannon has uh resigned from you know been kicked out of the white house and uh, a week after the Charlottesville um, unite the right rally that led to the death of Heather Hare and like yeah so so he was very much like in in my mind when I was writing this play and I was just learning more about him and I started to get excited about this you know this firebrand young woman Teresa, like being really into him. Um, because he's also like spoken at the Vatican and there is like a lot of Catholic overlap with the the way he, he talks and thinks. And so, um, so yeah, that's, I was just like, what is this? What's this book? What's this theory? Why, you know, this seems important to know about if it's like guiding the thinking of the person who has the president's ear. And so, yeah, that's, (laughs) that's where it came from.
2: Yeah. Right. So this is um, so this is what, you know, Emily is uh, is into you know, she's like—I um, don't know. She's—I uh, mean, I—I'm I, trying to think what the like closest real-world analogy, analogy would be to the you know fictional website that you know that she that she writes for, as far as we we have a, a sense of it. But you know, but she oh. she writes for something pretty firey, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really mean, I guess I was, say,
4: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess I was thinking, you know, basically um, a, a Breitbart type website, but, but the, but the deeper I got into it, I was like, no, there actually are like, um, like in, in further writing that I've done about these kinds of characters and a sort of like further, yeah. like I've a, 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 a sort of fictionalized that character Teresa further in this pilot that I'm working on and this character Maeve and she works for, she writes for, First Things in New York, which is mm-hmm. um, a little bit, you know, it's a little bit more. It's less like it's it's not clickbaity in that same way, um, and it's more academic and it's more, you know, there's there's like a prestige element rather than a populist. Yeah, you, you sort of get
2: the sense yeah. that, or I, I did anyway, right? That it's like whatever she writes for is maybe like somewhere in between uh, Breitbart and First Things.
4: Yeah, exactly, exactly, and there are those too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: yeah, the yeah. um just thinking in uh uh succession terms if there was somebody who uh who, who knew what the fourth turning is that that'd have to be Connor right like he uh he'd be the uh you know he'd be the guy who was up on this. <laughs>
4: yeah. Yeah, I think he I think he would. Yeah. Yeah, and I bet you know. I bet Jared Mencken, the new uh, president, is probably familiar. Also, actually,
2: you're right. No, yeah. yeah, yeah. He actually also Menken seems like he would have like like he wouldn't have read the book necessarily, but no, like you know, but no. he, you know, but he would have for sure like read some some of you know Teresa's articles.
4: Yeah, yeah, and he yeah he gets it. He probably you know is is a little bit. Somebody explained it to about about me. Got
2: really excited about it. <laughs>
4: yeah and he was like yeah moving on okay get it yeah <laughs> um but yeah yeah that's that's
2: the yeah so so in the uh so so okay so that that's one sort of um like yeah that's that's one version there's the sort of um there's yeah so teresa's uh has gone from um you know is, is doing this uh you know, Catholic intellectual Bannonism, uh, basically, uh, on, you know, on one end and then on the, you know, on the other end, uh, you know, Justin, the guy who, who stayed around, who's, you know, they're all, they're all in his, his backyard, uh, this, this whole time is, I mean, actually it's explicitly referenced in the play, right? He, He really, he's really into the, uh, the Benedict option.
4: Yes, indeed. Yeah. And yeah, the Benedict Option is a book by Rod Dreher um, that uh, you know uh, is is basically, I, I guess the thesis would be at the time he 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 wrote it, you know, um, the progressives are winning the culture war with their um, with their trans ideology and their you know you know yeah just all of it. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, there's no, they have all the power, they, they're pulling all the levers. So the best thing Christians can do is, is kind of retreat to a kind of localism and really foster, you know, strong local communities, education, you know, learn how to work the land and just basically like, um, be, uh, be like, just out outlast them just like, cause they're going to, cause they're going to implode. They're going to, you know, blow everything up. And if, and then, and then, you know, and then the new <laughs> and then the people who were right all along will sort of um, get back in the driver's seat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. So, it's uh, it's yeah. not like, it's, it's not like there's some liberal pluralism, you know, we're going to be over here on the farm and everybody else to do their thing. It's we're going to be over here on the farm. Uh, to preserve ourselves, you know, for when we can, you know, when we can take power and impose our will again.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, it's, it, yeah. The, 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 the thinking there would just be that, um, that that way of living, you know, the sort of the, the, the Christian way that's like, you know, building families and having lots of kids and uh, all of that, um is is the natural correct way, and so it must inevitably um win out and that that sort of constantly um uh, trying to beat this this many headed monster that is you know American progressivism is just um weakening us and it's not worth it because it'll destroy itself so
2: right. Yeah. That's- <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: so that's what Justin thinks
2: yeah yeah and then uh so then be like okay so there's intellectual catholic bananism there's uh there's this benedict option sort of view that uh that, that justin has uh but then uh be behind door number three as far as the alumni go uh and or you know i guess just not an alumnus but you know the as, as you know people in the present here uh for most of the play go. There's uh there's there's Emily who's who's still, you know, who still believes more or less uh what everybody else does. You know, she's she's still a very conservative Catholic, but it's like almost like, I don't know, uh a Catholic version of David Frenchism, you know, something uh, some something like that, right? That it's there's this sort of this uh you know, she has this, you know, like, you know, she was this thing she worked down in Chicago You said the, um, she was basically trying to, you know, convince, you know, pregnant women and how, you know, in tough places not to have abortions and, you know, and and so there is this intense anti-abortion view, but she's not like, um, you know, like, like Teresa just thinks everybody who has an abortion is, is, is just an evil person. And, and that's just not at all the way that she sees it.
4: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. One of the fiercest debates that happens in the play is between Emily and Teresa and it basically centers around. So, so, so Emily has a friend who um, who works for Planned Parenthood and, and Teresa's claim is that that person is, is basically, you know, a Nazi, like the, an agent of the modern day Holocaust and not a good person. Like, like just de facto not a good person an evil person an agent of evil Mm -hmm. and emily is saying no she is a good person she just doesn't agree with us and so then it becomes this debate about um about the nature of evil and the nature of goodness and and it's a really interesting debate because they both agree that abortion is the the murder of a child um and so (laughs) yeah it's it's just this um it's this really uh complicated um debate and also emily isn't someone who enjoys debate and Teresa is someone who whose whole life is centered around her enjoyment of debate and so she's going in for the kill for someone who basically just wants to get along with everyone um, but just can't let this opinion stand and and has to fight back even though it's like costing her physically to to even argue in the first place
2: Yeah. yeah, And, and yeah, I mean, Teresa, yeah. Enjoys debate in this very like sort of, I don't know, like, you know, cable newsy kind of, uh, kind of way she, um, uh, you know, she, she suggests to, uh, uh, you know, she suggests, um, at the, uh, at the beginning, um, to, uh, to Kevin that, uh, that he should try, he should try cocaine. It's really great. Uh you know, like so that's the you know, so that the, the you know the contrast and the speed at which she's operated and Emily is you know, is pretty stark.
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And and also she uh even though she like even though Teresa speaks in such like absolutist terms mm-hmm. and will make these like, you know, just these claims that just cut through and feel like they're like this is the objective fact. She herself is just full of contradictions and and Emily is actually living um, in many ways the the pure the purer like saintlier life that Teresa um, you know claims to be um, an advocate for so so there's like this sort of um, strange envy that's happening as well. It's informing the way she's talking to her. Um, because this person, like Emily has actually like walked the walk. She's actually like counseled women against having an abortion, um, which is something, you know, Teresa has never done. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just a, it's a charged little scene.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and all of this is before, you know, when things get really interesting, which is, Uh, when this, uh, the person that they're all there for, uh, you know, Gina, um, so, you know, the, uh, so, um, you know, Emily's, Emily's mom, the professor who's, uh, who, who they're all, they're all there for because she was just made, you know, made college president, um, sort of comes and, you know, hangs out for a few minutes, uh, and and this is this is really where like you know the you know the fact that it, this is all set you know just after you know just after Charlottesville, uh, when uh, the uh, the sort of um, you know the kind of extreme, you know I don't know distastefulness, probably not strong enough of a word you know of of Trumpism is like probably going to be the most strongly felt even by some of these other extremely conservative people who are, are there. Um, and, you know, when, and when, you know, Gina, you know, comes in and, and, you know, starts, uh, starts arguing with, you know, with Teresa in a very different way. Right. Cause, cause she's a, you know, she's an authority figure, you know, Teresa, like still desperately, you know, wants this woman's approval. Uh, that's, that's where that, that conflict, I mean, really, really starts to, to sort of come out in the, uh, you know, in the, in the starkest way. Right. Like, like everybody, um, you know, everybody voted, like everybody present, uh, voted for, uh, for Trump, but like, there's a, there's a point where, um, you know, there's a point where, you know, Kevin says, you know, that he, uh, that he voted for Trump and went home and threw up. And, uh, and Gina says that she, uh, she voted for Trump and then went to confession and she's afraid of confession.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a real ick factor, uh, for sure. Like, <laughs> it's like an arranged marriage, but you, you can't stand the person <laughs> you've been paired with. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah. You know, the sort of hold your nose and vote, um, thing that people on the left often experience, uh, um, totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah, and Gina's a, more of a you know she I think um, on the surface, like the 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 easy way to see it is that she's a more old school conservative um, but but the fact is, I mean, you know, like she talks about being a goldwater girl and um, you, you know Goldwater was someone who went from, like, voting against the Civil Rights Act, uh, you know, to in his later years, kind of softening and being, you know, in in favor of gay marriage and and things. So, like, I don't know. There's this kind of, like, sheen to it that's, like, this older conservative that, like, is is sort of more balanced in some way. But the fact is, I think, that like, that everything that Teresa is is because of what Gina taught her. Um, and, you know, Gina also like held Pat Buchanan rallies in her house in the nineties. And he, you know, he was, <laughs> I think very much more than anyone, like a a precursor to, to Trump and the way that he was talking. And so, um, so yeah, I think she's, she's, um, uh, she's a little bit um, like playing a sort of shock at some of the things Teresa is saying, but I think what what's under that, is a kind of shame uh, that um, that there that there is a clear path from what she taught to what's what's happening yeah you
2: know? yeah, that there's like at least a that there's at least a big side of right what she's always thought and what she taught you know that that, uh, that like Teresa isn't making it up she's she's running with that uh, and sort of taking it to what seemed to her to uh to be to be obvious places even if you know if if gina uh like you know and everybody else there except teresa is 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 like really uncomfortable uh with uh with where where that's uh where that's taking them and you know there, and there's this like um you know and and gina sort of says uh because you know teresa brings up the Pat Buchanan thing and says well well hold on right i mean like like you know you were you were doing the 1990s equivalent of, of of what i'm doing um and uh and you know gina sort of tries to suggest that that was just about abortion and you know that like uh pat buchanan would like i don't know have a stronger pro-life position than george hw bush but like the, you know there is something that rings really hollow about that
4: yeah i <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's like, uh, yeah, there's um, the, just like Buchanan's stance on immigration and not just his stance on immigration, but the the, the rhetoric um, uh, being, you know, pretty incendiary and um, you know, his whole like kind of good old boy states rights attitude um, that's uh, that was also, you know, at the, at the root of like why why Goldwater, you know, voted against the Civil Rights Act it was like, you know, it's it's these decisions should be left to the states, um, and uh, yeah, just uh, that's a that's the that's an opinion that can obviously be traced back to the Civil War. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's this very it's this very thin smokescreen for something else, and I think that's like what's what's so. Um, unusual about this debate between Teresa and Gina is Teresa's basically trying to say the quiet part out loud, which is like this is, this is, um, this is about white people protecting themselves. And Pat Buchanan said that out loud. So why is that suddenly something that shouldn't be said out loud? Um, everyone else is saying it out loud. Why can not our side just say it too and just sort of own it? You know, uh, <laughs> and and you know and gina's uncomfortable with with admitting that that's what it is and she just keeps bringing it back to abortion and keeps bringing it back to protecting the faith and protecting the family um and yeah yeah
2: Yeah, and i think what's interesting about that debate is that um like certainly as a uh as a reader you know who uh you know, in a, in a fundamental way, you know, doesn't like what any of these people think, you know, that like, it's, it's sort of both, um, you know, both, there's this feeling that you get that Gina is this, this source of sort of intellectual seriousness and moral authority. And that, you know, and, and that like, there is this like very righteous kind of dressing down at the same time as like the story she's telling about her own political evolution, like, Does't quite add up, and there are like obviously some some tensions there,
4: yeah yeah completely and 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 I think you know it it's like um you know, it, it it's a play, so so uh it does kind of break down into into this this place of like shared history and emotion and things like that, but one of the things she keeps saying about the new left and the new right is that it's too emotional, it's all too like it's too rude and messy and emotional and that teresa's like out of the gate being way too emotional way too crass you know and and yet when gina really has her back up against the wall and teresa's sort of like reasoned it out why um uh you know why this is very much about race and about white western civilization protecting itself and that even pro life Policies are about white Western civilization protecting itself. Um, Gina reverts to a really emotional, really like, personal very, attack. Very personal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, which is funny. Like, I for me, it's so clear that that's what's happening. But a lot of like older, especially like um, older liberal um, uh, audience members, when the play was was going up live um we're kind of just like yeah she got her you know like gina they, they were like siding with the older character as like the voice of reason and it was like no something something else is happening here
2: yeah, i mean i almost <laughs> yeah. think that maybe on some level it's like you haven't uh you you know you haven't like a work of art or entertainment probably hasn't gotten it hooks into people well enough if uh, if they don't like misinterpret in exactly that kind of way, right? You know, it's like that. Yeah. Like you know, every great anti-war movie has you know has has like people who you know who love it because it shows the military is awesome. You know, like totally. the, every, you know, Absolutely. every movie about yeah. how being a gangster is terrible and it's <laughs> going to destroy your life. You know, has people who only get that being a gangster is cool
4: yeah like yeah, I just want to be Tony soprano, you know that's yeah, yeah. what I want <laughs> it's like... Look, I,
2: I just you know my my life's ambition is to is to uh to to be like this really moody overweight guy who's profoundly depressed about every aspect of his life uh... <laughs> yeah. what can I say he's daddy, you know <laughs> yeah yeah so so i I am curious uh so like you know, I've, I've maybe seen you talk about this a little bit, uh, elsewhere, but just cause I think it might not be obvious, um, you know, it hasn't been brought out in this, this discussion yet. I mean, like you tell me a little bit about, you know, your background. as it kind of informs why, why these, these are people that you want to write about?
4: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in this world. Um, I, my parents um teach at a school very similar to it's a, it's a, it's a lightly fictionalized version of the school that they teach um uh where they you know it's it's uh, and I grew up around you know I I myself ended up going um to a school that wasn't a Catholic grade books program uh for college um and then I ended up moving to New York and pursuing playwriting and you know, so I, I took this this other path. But I, you know, from the time I was, you know, a, an infant, I was surrounded by exactly these kinds of parties um and and these kinds of debates and, you know, drunk, passionate young people really just like hashing it out. And um and yeah, I mean I remember, you know, it was like probably so many nights like deep, deep, deep in my unconscious that I was just like sitting on a sister's lap while people were, you know,
2: <laughs> having yeah, yeah. this
4: exact kind of dance and uh, and waiting for the professors to come out and sort of make everything make sense, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really where it comes from. I, I also went to, you know, a, an all-boys Catholic school for eight years and was surrounded by some other, you know, people who, um, you know, I was, like, taught by Hungarian monks and it was very very conservative Bushier year, Bushier's Texas like this real sort of like um, you know just like the, the kinds of people who wrote like Facebook messages or Facebook statuses when Obama was elected that were like pretty pretty violent you know and like assassination tinged um, so uh, so yeah that that, that it's just I, I, I was exposed to a wide range of of conservative people from a very young age yeah. yeah and when i was trying to make it as a playwright it was like you know i was writing plays that had nothing to do with where i came from because i thought you know surely no one wants to hear that and maybe it will like reflect badly on me like a, that they will think that that i'm you know i'm a representative of that world i'm endorsing it or like and and so no one will ever produce it and i'll be run out of town and and then at a certain point just like it just shifted to like oh i have to write this like people really don't know anything about these people i felt this responsibility to just like inform and complicate the narrative and and just like try to make good art out of something really alive and ugly in the world and um. yeah. And so then, then it became slowly this mission of like, oh yeah, it'll actually be really cool if nobody can quite place my personal politics in this thing. And it's just the piece itself. And it's like, as, as pure representation as possible. So that the audience isn't being fed a message and just has to wrestle with it from wherever they are. And that became the new sort of um, like, thing that i was striving for yeah which was scary because then you know yeah. i did a bunch of interviews especially while it was coming out where everyone wanted to be like so like are you are you like is this like and i would just sort of refuse to to pontificate on my own uh beliefs which was hard because you know again it was like i'm gonna be right out of town everyone's gonna but yeah. but it turned out okay because then it becomes like oh art art is this space where we can sort of meet Um, it's not even in the middle. It's like this whole other like space. It's like a different layer of reality where we can meet and sort of really encounter, you know, the abject terror of the other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and, and I mean, if nothing else, right. I mean, just, just the fact that this is, you know, this is an entire play that, you know, almost, entirely consists of arguing about ideas you know there's the, there are other things that are that are mixed in you know but i mean that that's the that's the main thing that is uh is going on for uh the vast majority of it and um but you know it's it, it's not like you know it's uh but you know i i mean I, I guess just on a really basic level i mean maybe like you know you you have um like clearly avoided the temptation to like you know to like stick in somebody who thinks anything that you think <laughs>
4: yeah i tried i tried to yeah um so hopefully they, they're just i mean you know yeah they, i i really don't know i can't really point to a single thing that anyone says that's like I just had to, I had to get my own, <laughs> my own thing in there. Just so, just so people don't get led down the wrong path. Like it was, it was really just like, no, we're going that we're going into this forest together. Yeah. Um, so any, yeah, any, correct.
2: yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it's all, it's all like, you know, arguments that that take place with, you know, within this, this, uh, uh you know this this worldview that you know i i am pretty confident uh that you know like um i mean whatever you know at a a point in your life you know maybe there are parts of it that you did but i mean that that you um you know that you def like you know is is uh you know i mean i I take you're at least a little bit comfortable pontificating now
4: (laughs) uh Yeah, I don't know though. I mean, like the play, like we're trying to get the play on, you know, Broadway and stuff, so I might have to keep the whole thing going. (laughs) 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 Um, No, I'm sure it'll shift. I'm sure, like, if the play does have a new life, which I very much hope it does, because I think, especially with a new presidential election coming up, like all these ideas are going to be back, you know, in the, you know, as much as people might wish that they weren't, like all these conversations are gonna kick up again and RDR. And so
2: So you know, so uh, the um like uh I'm I'm just so you know, I'm just trying to think uh if, like most of the uh most of these characters are like, you know, Ron DeSanta supporters. <laughs>
4: Well, I mean, Gina does say, you know, that she's holding out for Pence. And I, I, still, I still think, like, there's a lot, someone like Gina and, and a lot of these people would, would really prefer someone with a great deal of dignity, um, oh. that, that uh, you know, sort of that perf- performance of dignity, uh, a pr- presidential manner. And uh, uh, not Teresa, I don't think, I think she wants someone who's just going to get get shit done and, and, uh, and own the libs, you know, <laughs> but like, but I think, I think Justin and Gina would, you know, and Emily, um, I'm not sure about Kevin, but I think, yeah, I think they would, they would, they, to this day, I mean, the people, like people in my family, the f- friends that I have who are conservative are, um, they're still really put off by, by Trump and really put off by, gestures towards Trumpism. So some of the things, some of the stunts that DeSantis is pulling, some of the ways that he's talking and trying to appeal to that kind of mindset is very distasteful to them. So, um, but yeah, I think they would prefer him to Trump.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, although it is interesting, I'm thinking about the, the Pat Buchanan, um, you know, comparison, you know, cause it's, it's like, what, you know, what is it about, Uh, what is it about, you know, Pat Buchanan that's, that's, um, you know, like, what is it about the Pat Buchanan, Donald Trump distinction that, you know, that, that makes, that makes somebody like Buchanan, you know, granted at least in 1992, uh, but like, um, that makes Pat Buchanan sort of sit well with somebody like Gina in a way that, that Donald Trump, uh, doesn't, you know, and, and it, and it seems like, you know it's not really i mean she does kind of gesture a little bit at um you know distaste for i mean she you know she uses the phrase they're a little bit racist uh at uh, at one point um but you know come on i mean Buchanan uh is is if anything actually like like being sort of more um uh more unabashed right you know about about that in in a way you know than uh, than than trump you know it's So it's not, it's not that. I mean, like it, it just like has to be that sense that it's like, oh, well, you know, he's, he's giving us the, like the dignified version of it. You know, he's, he's not this like, um, you know, he's not this like crass, horrible, erratic person.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think with Buchanan, it's like, uh, you know, (laughs) it's, it's all about manners. I really think so much of it is, is rooted in the idea of, of manners and, and I think, yes, It as as sort of um, incendiary as Buchanan could be, he also kind of led with, um, um, you know, a, a kind of like a Southern gentleman, almost like a, you know, a little bit like a plantation, I don't know, like a guy in Virginia who's sort of like, yes, welcome in. And then you sit with him and, drinks some scotch and then and then he he regales you with his his hilarious racism you know (laughs) like it's it's just but there's like a formality to it and you have to get there and you have to earn it and it's not like the chaos of someone just uh getting up there and saying whatever comes into their head so it's like the ritual that you have to go through to get to the to the racism. (laughs) Does that make sense? And that's like what, that's the whole thing that Gina's talking about is she's talking about the ritual of democracy and gridlock and sort of like waiting to get um, the result. And I think that she expects that in her, in her preferred candidates too a sort of like, like a a sort of um, yeah, (laughs) a sort of performance of dignity until until you get to um, and then she loves, and then she loves uh, real talk and sharpshoot, you know, uh, whatever Uh, someone who will just lay it straight. Um, But yeah. Yeah. I think that's my gut.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the, I mean, that's fair, but I mean like that, I mean, cause I, I think in general, like, you know, there is something, I mean, okay. Like the, the, Gina example is, is extreme because, you know, it's, it's not just like she was a Republican, right. Who, who doesn't like Trump. It shows a you know, Pat Buchanan Republican at one point, you know, who, uh, who doesn't, who doesn't like Trump, but you know, th- there is like a much more general uh, thing here that, you know, like, okay. So as, as we said a couple of times, the, the, the play is set at sort of the time in which, the ugliest kind of tendencies or energies that you know I think a lot of people detected in in trump and trumpism were sort of at like manifesting in the most disturbing ways uh but like like there is something in general about uh conservative um conservative anti-trumpism that's like often a little bit odd in in just this way right so i'm thinking for example about um I remember back in like 2019, there was this monk debate uh, between Steve Bannon um, and um, the uh, God, I'm uh, uh, from right. You know, from the uh, uh, and uh, and, and it was like, I don't know, it was like, so I think those things are like an hour and a half, two hours. And I remember watching this and think it's kind of, there is something kind of remarkable about how little actual policy disagreement that there, there seems to be going on between these guys, or certainly at least how little is, is brought up in, you know, in the debate, you know, that there's this, there's sort of all this rhetoric from Bannon about, you know, salt of the earth deplorables. And, and there's all this, this rhetoric from, from sort of insinuating the Bannon's a fascist, but uh, <laughs> you know, there's, you know, I, I, like I kind of want to know. It's like okay, but like concretely, right? What do you want to do, right? That that like, you know, what is Bannon want to actually do in the world, right? That that from like really disapproves of, uh, in um, like you know, like give give me the uh, you know, like like give me the actual the actual policy, and it's not obvious that that there that there is one. I mean that these. I mean like, I guess maybe to be like too simplistic about it just for a second. I mean it's like these guys are basically Republicans. Like like they do actually want, you know, similar things to uh to to happen in the world, right? I mean, but like the there's um you know like there's there's a way of of presenting uh the uh you know or 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 packaging it, you know, that's like really offensive to, you know, to the the David Frums of the world or maybe also the, you know, Gina's of the world.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that's, I think that's exactly right. I um, I mean, as my girlfriend likes to say, everything is marketing. (laughs) Uh, And like, she she has this theory that like, everything is marketing. (laughs) And uh, and sometimes I'm like, I think, I think you're right. I, I, I think this is like, just just like a marketing debate <laughs> in a way um, and, and what words to use and how to use them and what the, what the, you know, how careful to be with, with language um, because, um, because really at the, at the, at the, at the core of like the, the the, it's not just a throwaway. Oh, it is kind of a throwaway comment that Gina has when she calls them. She calls Bannon and Trump a little bit racist, but it it's what kicks off the whole long argument between her and Teresa because Teresa. Yeah, Teri- Teresa
2: is like super ended that she says that because like that's what they say <laughs>
4: Yeah, she's like, I can't believe you would use that word. Why would you use that word? Um, and and it just it becomes this this, um, basically, um, uh, basically Teresa kind of trying to get Gina to admit, um, that she, that she is racist or that they're not racist, but that everyone's racist and that we just need to like, you know, it's like, it's this really sort of, um, kind of twisted up, uh point that she's trying to drive home but 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 really it's like um like the fact that gina would would use that phrase while so clearly being racist is what is baffling teresa it's like yeah that's what we're doing we're defending we're defending like white christianity from islam and the chinese you know and like and and all of these uh, elements in our in the in the fabric of our society that are trying to eradicate us that's the whole mission that's what we are doing with this time that we have on earth so why would you why would you use that word as though you were pretending that that's not the case you know like like we're, we're so beyond that and yet um and so yeah so. Uh, so, so it is, it is, it is marketing. It's like, how do we talk about ourselves? What words do we use to, to, um, to talk about ourselves both to um, the opposition and also in private society? Like no one, th- these characters don't know that there's, you know, 200 strangers in the dark in New York, listening to them, like they should be able to say whatever they want. And yet even in this environment, there's that sort of negotiation over, what, um, what words to use, um, and, and what's proper and what isn't and what's effective and what isn't. Yeah. And I think Teresa is much more concerned with what's effective and at this phase in her life, at least maybe it's cause she's just been elected president of this college, but Gina seems more concerned with what's
2: proper. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Um,
4: which I think is a, is a debate, honestly, that, that gets echoed on the, on the left quite often. Um, the, the, the tension between what's yeah, what's proper and what's effective. (laughs) Um, and a lot of, most of our, like most democratic leadership is, is more concerned with what's proper than what's effective. (laughs) Although they would argue that, that these manners, like, I think Biden would argue that these manners and this sort of like, um, Uh, this like diplomatic um you know thing this like ritual of of negotiation is ultimately more effective and that the manners are a really key part of that um so
2: yeah (laughs) yeah I, i mean i think that um that's interesting like you know in that case i mean there is like a certain amount of what you know, Gina says when she's, yes, in her, you know, at the phase of her life in the, you know, college president mode, you know, when, when she, she goes off on how, uh, you know, gridlock is beautiful and, uh, and it's, it should be, it's, it's really important and noble and like a conservative value in itself, you know, for, for politics to, uh, to take a long time. Uh, that, you know, that there is, um, I mean, it's, you know, not the same, right. You know, but, but there is some kind of echo there in, uh, you know, I mean like, you know, in the defense, you know, even by democratic leadership of the institution of the filibuster in, uh, the, um, the way that, you know, Biden, um, was, you know, was willing, like, you know, that like part of the premise of, of his campaign, you know, was that, um, you know, was that he's, you know, he's good at working with Republicans, you know, he's, uh, he's always done that. That can happen again. You know, that this sort of like, you know, insanity of, you know, of, of Trump will pass, uh, part of the, um, you know, like part of the defense of him, you know, signing, like, you know, doing this, uh, debt, uh, debt ceiling negotiation that, um, uh, you know, that did things like, you know, did like shrunk certain aspects of the welfare state, you know, imposed work requirements uh, for, uh, for certain forms of assistance uh, that was that um, like, like even the like Biden spin on that, you know, was, uh, was about how well this is like getting, you um, that there's this sort of long-term goal of like marginalizing the trumpiest and most crazy people in the GOP and if you can get everybody else to get you know, to vote for it you know that's a you know that's a that's a good uh that's a good in itself so I mean you know maybe there's you know there's a theory of change there that says that you know ultimately that's good instrumentally because it'll help you accomplish something good although you know I, I I would argue that in the democratic case there is much more divergence on like what the actual goals are that are, uh, that are being, that are being pursued. Uh, But, but there's also a level which, you know, see it as like there, there is, I think some kind of implicit appeal to, you know, something like, you know, Gina's pan to, uh, to, to like the glories of, you know, gridlock and slowness, you know, that it's like that, that just sort of the, you know, that, that compromise and coming together and, you know, and all of these things are sort of, you know, good in themselves they're like democratic virtues in themselves mm-hmm.
4: yeah yeah totally
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well fair enough but, it, uh,
4: but it, it, it is it is just what you were saying about um yeah the question of what what they actually uh disagree on because you're saying you know mm. On the on the left side of things, that there's a huge um, range of debate about what what the actual goals are and what the actual policy should be and what uh, you know how to how to make those happen, how to get everyone to agree on on what's the most important and in what order, and you know, and on the right, uh, um, and it, I had never quite thought of it that way that there's maybe (laughs) I don't know I'm just gonna I'm gonna be carrying that with me and sort of looking for examples of that like what are they actually on a policy level disagreeing on most often and how and is there as much of that as there is on the left because yeah yeah it's interesting
2: yeah because I mean you think about the like the 2020 uh, you know primaries and you know there's like I'm just a just a of like one of the more off, ob- like, you know, Medicare for all. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's like a really straightforward thing. That was like a policy thing that, that, you know, that like Bernie wanted and, you know, uh, Biden didn't. And, you know, other candidates sort of, you know, came somewhere in the, you know, somewhere in the middle on or tried to split the difference on and, you know, in different ways. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that'd be one way of framing the question, right? I mean, what's the sort of, um, you know, what would be the Republican version of, of Medicare for all, you know, is something that's like something that's like really desperately wanted, you know, by, by, by one wing of the, uh, of, of the party. That's like a major policy objective that, uh, that the, that the other one, you know, doesn't want.
4: Yeah. 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 I'd have to, I'd have to think hard about what that would be. I mean, it seems to me the central, like the central issue has always been this, the, yeah, the, the unholy fusion between, um, the, um, the money people and and the God people, um, <laughs> and, and the, you know, like people who believe something really deeply and people who, who only believe in themselves and how do those people come together and, um, and, you know, use each other and, and try to be the ones who are actually the more influential on um. Uh, because I think you get, you know, very powerful people on both sides. Who, both sides of the right, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the the faith people and the the money slash yet yeah, money people <laughs> who yeah. um, who want to be ultimately the one who has more power over the other. And um, and of course they're both using, you know, using um, tropes of of faith when they need to or you know, or, or financial gain, like pursuing financial gain when they need to, like, I, I don't know, there's, but that's, that's the sort of tension that I've really zeroed in on is like um, the people who, because I think, you know, I think, I think there's, yeah. Anyway, I, I'll The I'll interesting
2: in thing about Trump there is that, you know, the tropes of faith are almost, hundred uh, percent absent, right? I mean the the uh, the the sort of um, you know, I mean the dumb joke I always made about Trump, but I do think that there's some truth to it. Is like you know, Trump could uh, could could give a speech in front of an inverted cross, and you know, uh, like a pool of blood, and like as long as he owned the libs, uh, then, you know, and like uh, his evangelical you know supporters would be totally you know totally fine, fine with it, you know, which I'm sure is an overstatement, but it's like also. But like to a really deep extent, Trump never particularly pretended, right? To uh, to have like, I mean, I guess there was a point in like the first campaign where he like said the, you know, was asked was, you know, said the Bible was his favorite book, and the, you know, interviewer was like, oh, what's your favorite verse? He's Like, I don't know, right? You know, they're, they're all good, yeah. Uh, you know, he doesn't know what any, any of them are, but I don't think anybody really thought that he did. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs>
4: yeah it's it's just it, it it just boggles the mind because uh you know like then once you go like on a state level or like a, a congress level like that that just completely changes and so many mm-hmm. of them most of them are are uh are, are using those faith tropes um like they have to uh he he's he's just in the class of his own in, in a lot of ways <laughs> um yeah. and it's, i we're going to be studying it and talking about it forever because it's <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. um there's no yeah. one easy way to sum it all up what's Yeah, going I mean on like, right? things,
5: yeah.
2: in terms of the the faith people and the money people um like the the sort of um I mean I guess in a way right i mean this is like most obvious with Trump because he you know because he put so little energy into pretending to, to sort of personally share any of this. Uh, I, I mean, you know, he had, you know, like Trump was caught giving hush money to a porn star and it was like a day and a half of, uh, of people talking about that. And they sort of forgot about it, you know, like that's, um, but in, uh, but like the deal to some extent, you know, for, for the faith people was, We'll we'll work to we'll work out law abortion, right? And and that's that's like that's 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 our thing for you, you know. To to you mm-hmm. know to sort of keep you as uh, enthusiastic members of the the coalition, which you know, which like Donald Trump actually. Uh, even though you know, I'm I don't think for a second that Trump himself cares uh, about. About abortion, I mean, like I remember back in 2016, there was this revealing moment where he was like, "Yeah, no, you should like punish the the woman, right?" And all these, the you know, like if they have an abortion, and all this, these pro-lifers are like, "Oh my God, no, right?" You know, no, but no, like, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's also this is also part of the Trump effect. So many of these things happen so often that like none of them really stick in your memory very well. But uh, uh, but yeah, there was this moment in 2016. Where, where Trump said in a, in a space, you know, or, or maybe he was asked in an interview, um, about, uh, you know, like putting like women who had abortions, like in prison or something. And you know, he was like, yeah, sure, I guess. Right. And, <laughs> uh, and, and you almost have to feel sorry for him. Cause I think he's knows or cares so little about what people who are actually like intensely pro-life think that it's like, he naturally assumed that that's what they wanted oh, yeah. him to say. And you know, right. was surprised surprised. Yeah, lock with, her up, lock her up. <laughs> they didn't yeah. uh you know, when when it turned out they did not at all want him to uh to say that, but like Trump actually did, you know, appoint uh appoint the extra justices to uh right. to to make that happen. Um out and then although he's also been um you know, he's also been savvy enough uh to say and it'll, you know so far it doesn't really seem to be hurting him with with voters we'll see if it does that um you know he's made several comments along the lines of like oh now that we actually got rid of roe uh, you guys are going way too far with the anti-abortion laws we're going to lose votes over this
4: yeah yeah it's very it's 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 very interesting yeah i'll be fascinated to see how it all shakes out um yeah because i think you know it's 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 a major victory, but the people who, who really, really care about it. Um, and there's a lot who really care about it. Um, I think that they consider it, you know, okay, now we can really start protecting the unborn. now that we have this umbrella sort of protection, now we can really do the work. And so it's not over for them by any means. No. And, uh, and so, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's also just like a question for me too. Like I, you know, I don't know, like if they really turn on him, if, if, if the pro-life movement really turns on Trump and it's like, he can't be our candidate. Are there mm-hmm. enough of them to, to get, I, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think so, but I don't know. Yeah, it,
3: it
2: certainly <laughs> doesn't feel like it. Like I know that, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I mean, try to remind myself a lot. Okay. Look, it's June the year before anybody actually votes, um, like tons of stuff could change. It's, it's, uh, like, you know, polling right now doesn't mean that much, et cetera. But like, I just have a really hard time imagining like, tr- like, you know, Trump, I mean, I guess unless he now you know, goes to prison, although he could still do the Eugene V. Debs thing and, you know, run from, uh, uh yeah. run from there but like uh short of that or short of just like you know literally having a heart attack and dying i i have to say that i I find i have a really hard time like trying to visualize that result trying to imagine him not uh you know like being selected as the nominee yeah yeah like especially (laughs) especially because like desantis like is in this weird position where he you know he doesn't seem to feel really free to even like criticize Trump all that much because like that would be, you know, back to the, you know, Teresa's point to Gita that that's, it would sound too much like what they say.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and because he just, you know, without he's just not as funny as Trump. And so Trump just, We'll just win every time because uh no one can beat him at that game. He'll just he'll just throw out some amazing insults and then you know and then yeah, DeSantis will be toast because he just can't he can't ad lib at the same rate. <laughs> no. no definitely not. Like
2: DeSantis is injured. He's not like um he you know, he's not cut out for for insult comedy and that's the thing that like trump is is best at right i mean that like he he has i mean in a way i mean i think that um you know in 2016 um you know hillary clinton you know ran a really bad campaign and you know whatever but like trump himself was kind of coasting he did fine right in the debates against hillary but like he uh, but like where he really shone was where he was like mowing through and like just savagely mocking all of these other republicans leading up to that
4: yeah
2: yeah yeah <laughs> exactly it's like oh it's a little barco you know does the bottle water <laughs>
4: uh, yeah it's who knew that <laughs> being funny was was just like the key to <laughs> defying all previous rules <laughs> it's just uh yeah it's wild Wow.
2: Yeah. I mean, like that, and yeah, whatever. I mean, like this is, I guess to, to bring it back in the last few minutes to, to the, the play. I mean, this is, um, I mean, you know, even if there is, I mean, what we were kind of exploring a few minutes ago is the sort of extent. And I mean, I think this has been a a big debate among a lot of people, you know, for the last, you know, I guess, God, eight years at this point, right. The, uh, since Trump first sort of, came on the scene in his present form in 2015, you know, whether he actually represented something qualitatively different, uh, from, uh, from, from other, other Republicans, or he just had like this extremely unusual personality and like recrass packaging for the same basic content. Right. I mean, I think that's what a lot of the debates on the left about sort of fascism analogies for Trump get, get, you know, get down to, I think that's what a lot of the sort of, divergence between you know republicans who initially hated trump but ended up holding their nose and the you know tiny handful of resolute never trumpers you know came came down to um you know and you know whatever i mean i certainly think i've kind of staked out where i stand on that but i mean like the you know the play is you know that precise moment where where the you know, when the, uh, the play is set, you know, is like, I think right at the moment where like, whatever you think is intellectually is true about that question where they're like, so I, you know, to, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, succession when, uh, after, you know, when, uh, after, Ah, uh, they call it uh, call it for Mencken. And you know, Tom is sitting there saying it's like, maybe we can have like a really smart guy come on and explain that, like that this is like stuff like this is, you know, has happened before. <laughs> you know like that kind of post Charlottesville moment is is the point where, like, again, whatever you think about this intellectually, like, where emotionally the force of like, Oh my God, something really different and really disturbing has happened. I think was being felt most strongly by, by a lot of people. And then certainly when it was by me.
4: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, (laughs) and then it's just, you know, you know, people have to just, uh, especially the people who, uh, this is what what interested me about this subject so much is is how do you how do you make sense of that as a as a community as 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 people who um, who you know I think one of the wh- one of the most like radical offerings of the play is is that you can clearly feel like the authors love for these characters you can feel like they, they're not being easily dismissed they're not being made fun of. They're not, um, they're not being like overtly villainized mm-hmm. in any way. It's like there's so much power in the audience's hands because they're written with a lot of love. There's tenderness there. You you know there's there, there's they're they're real people, and mm-hmm. and they also there's also a lot of love between them, um, and history and sort of kindness and even though things get heated, like there's there's love there. And so what do what do people and it's it goes beyond it's not it's not about like good or bad but what do what are people who like love each other and love their faith and love their community and love where they came from how do they make sense of something so loud and ugly <laughs> um and uh yeah that's that's the moment where we yeah. where we find them and yeah yeah <laughs> And hopefully the play happens again uh, soon so that people can see it. Yeah, yeah, so people can can see it.
2: Well, until that happens, where can they get the book?
4: I don't know. They can just Google here's the fourth turning book.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Yeah, I I, uh, I will say the. uh, so there's a uh, worker owned bookstore in Baltimore called uh, called called uh, red M as I often encouraged people to get books from and when I looked it up there last night they didn't have it uh, so we, we stuck in a different link into uh, into the show notes but uh, the uh, the guy there told me told me that they'd, uh, they'd, they'd order it so uh, so uh, very soon you should be able to get it from there meanwhile you can get it from like everywhere so uh, people should get it it's really good uh, I I read it very quickly it did like you know it was pretty you know like parts of that were kind of hypnotic for me so uh so yeah um pleasure to talk to you uh let's uh let's do it again soon you uh you live um you live in la now right is that
3: uh
4: yeah i literally i just got here on thursday so uh yeah so i as of very recently I do,
3: okay. yeah so can,
4: but before that i was in brooklyn for 12 years so okay um, well
2: can uh, yeah. can do this in studio sometimes. So uh, in any case, um, I uh, look forward to that. Uh, yeah. So uh, Will Arbery, uh, go uh, go read his play. It's really good.
4: <laughs> Thank you. So nice to talk to you. All
2: right. Thank you. All right. Uh, it was Will Arbery? The uh, play is called uh, Heroes of the Fourth Turning. Uh, people should uh, should pick up a uh, a copy. Uh, I will say next week's episode, we are going to have uh, perennial uh, GTA favorites, uh, RM Brown and Naomi Caravani back. So uh, looking forward to that. And then the week after that, I think we're actually going to have the first uh, in-studio guest uh, who's going to be uh, Cedric Johnson to uh, talk about uh, his, uh, his new book. So uh, should, be, uh, should be a very good time. So, gonna go to uh, the post game now. Left is best.